Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Uh, hey, everybody. Happy 2023. It's been said a number of times already, but uh, we are in a brand new year. And, you know, every first Sunday of the year uh, since, the, since we started the church, I've tried to take some, that Sunday to think about what God might be saying for us as a church in the coming year, as a, as a prophetic kind of inkling of where the church is going, what he's going to be doing in our church. And it's been amazing over the past, you know, this is the fifth time we've done this, over the past five years to see what, that whatever's spoken on this Sunday uh, tends to set a tone for the rest of the year. It tends to be prophetic in the sense that it invites our church into that specific direction. So, you know, I have to be honest, I approach this Sunday now with great trepidation <laughs> because this past year specifically, I don't know how many, how many of you were here last year when, when I gave this sermon a year ago? Okay, thank you. Uh, a, a year ago, I, <laughs> I almost can't have you sit there. I need you to sit like somewhere back there or something like that. Wow. Um, a year ago, I gave a sermon called The Year of Why. The Year of Why. I'd actually encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't listened to that sermon. Um, it, 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 what I sensed last uh, you know, January was that 2022 was gonna be, year, be the year of asking, why do we do what we do as a church? Why do we think the way that we think as a church? Why do we practice what we practice as a church? Uh, why do we even believe what we believe? And I thought it was a good idea. I thought that would be really good for a church to, to ask why a lot. And I regretted it like the whole year because I was like, that was exhausting. I had people, I had so many conversations with people just like, hey, you told me to ask why. And I'm like, I did say that we should be asking why this year, didn't I? Okay. Um, a lot changed as a result. We asked why we worship how we worship, why we do communion the way that we do communion. And we, and we got to specific answers that made us, it, I'll just say this, it gave us a lot of work to do. We had to change a lot of things. We changed the way that we thought about um, specific theological things. We began to think sacramentally about the things that we do with our bodies as embodied souls. We began to think sacramentally about uh, the bread and the cup and, and what we do in communion. We began to do more liturgy and to uh, even use the Book of Common Prayer as a guide for some of the things that we do in our church. And it was exhausting for me. Maybe not for you. You're like, wow, this church is just has a lot of things changing. Well, for me, anything that changes here is like at least two months of like mental and emotional turmoil for me. So just so you know, uh, it has been a long year. Um, so I think it was important for us though, because we got clear about what we believe. We got a little bit more clear about why we do what we do. Now, for this coming year, uh, I had a sense that came through a dream that I had this past week. So I know it's like so annoying. Have you ever had somebody be like, you have to hear this dream that I had? And you're like, please don't. I don't need to hear your dream. <laughs> all the weirdness. Uh, I'm going I'm to share my dream with you, and it's not that weird, okay? So in the dream, here's, here's, here's my dream. In the dream, I'm sitting out in the lobby, and I've just gotten done with Alpha. I've gone through Alpha, and in the dream, I'm, a new, I'm new to faith. I'm not myself. I'm somebody else who's new to faith, 
and I've gone through Alpha, and I'm, and I'm curious about, like, what is, you know, who is God, and, and what is all this Christian, Christian stuff about? And I'm sitting next to somebody who is one of my Alpha leaders, and in the dream, they're explaining to me all of the programs that the church has for me now that I've finished Alpha. They're like, we have this that you can join. We have this small group. We have this book club. We have this discipleship curriculum. And in my dream, it disturbed me because in my dream, I'm pounding my, my, my fists on my knees saying, there has to be more. There has to be more than that. And they continue to explain. They're like, whoa, okay, listen, we also have this. And have you thought about serving in kids? We need people to serve in kids. And so, you know, you could jump into that and, and you could do this or that. And I'm going, there has to be more. There has to be more than that. And they're like, well, you know, also we have, and I'll go, no, no, no. There has to be more than this. More than a life of managed Christianity. There has to be more. And what I want to say this morning is that there is. There is more this year. (laughs) There's more than what you've tasted before, more than what you've experienced before in Christ. There is more for you. You can't, you can't plumb the depths of God and find the bottom. God, you know, one of the things that I, I, I thought about this past week is that, you know, God, his, he's not trying to work himself out of a job in my life. You know, there's a lot of, you know, good leadership. It's like, work yourself out of a job and raise somebody up. He's not trying to raise anybody up. He has designed you to need him for your whole life. He doesn't have a goal for your life that isn't him. Have you ever thought about that? Like God's not like, he's not more interested in like the impact that you're gonna have. He's interested in getting you addicted to his presence because it's from that place that everything will come. That's what John 15 is all about. And with him as the goal of your life, if you make God the goal of your life, you are my goal, not what you do for me, you are my goal, you will never exhaust the goodness, the life, the love, the purposes of God. You'll never exhaust them. So if, if you're here this morning, I specifically felt this because I even felt it in myself a little bit this past week. If you are here this morning and you are bored with God, you are bored with Christianity, you're bored with church, I wanna say blessed are the bored. <laughs> blessed are the bored because there's more if you want it. If you get bored enough to the point where you go, I actually need more than this. This is not enough for me. I can't just keep on living how I've been living. I can't just keep on showing up to church with a smile on my face the way that I've been showing up. If you're showing up here because your spouse brought you here, there's more for you. There's more for you. And if you get what I'm saying this morning, here's here's what's gonna happen. You're not gonna live a life of quiet desperation any longer. If you really get this, you're not gonna be in quiet desperation like there has to be more, but there isn't. You're not gonna live a life of boredom. You're not gonna live a life of just doing church for your children. You won't live a life of managed Christianity, never seen fruit. See, Jesus, he didn't just come. This is really the, the message of his coming. He didn't just come to get you into heaven someday. He came to get heaven himself into you so that heaven would come through your life. So if you're like, I'm bored, it's like, well, heaven's probably not coming through your life. Why is heaven not coming through your life? How much heaven do you have in you? How surrendered are you? Are you still living in sin to the degree that you, every seed that's planted, you're uprooting? Is that what's going on? It's time to begin to ask those questions. If you're really bored with faith, if you're bored with Christianity, you need to ask the question, why? Because he said that if you abide in him, he's gonna make fruit come out of you, so much so he's gonna have to start cutting some of it off you so you can produce even more. If you get this, 
relationships in your life, that, that relationship that comes to your mind when I say, you know, do you have any, any uh, relationships with tension, that one that comes to your mind? You can see that redeemed if you get this. You can see blessings of every single kind, physical blessings, spiritual blessings, emotional blessings, all of that. You can see the dead coming to life. You know, you think of that person who you're like, they just keep on making dead person decisions. They can come to life. The vision of your whole life is this. It's culture change beginning with your own internal culture. That's the vision of your life. Like, what, like what am I here to do? What am I here to be? The vision of your life is to produce a cultural change around you. So it looks so the things around you, the homes around you, the people around you, the dorm room around you, the workplace around you begins to look more like heaven, more like God reigning to the degree that he reigns personally. So this is the mission you're like, what is this guy on about? This is the mission. This is Edenic. This is the mission that God has set out from the beginning of the world. And when you're on his mission, life is not boring. It's not boring. Your life is gonna mean something. And what I, if I can, hopefully this makes sense. What I'm describing is I'm describing kingdom life more than Christian life. Like there's a difference. I hope I can say that. Like there's a difference between Christian life. You can adhere to the Christian life through ritual. You cannot adhere to a kingdom life through ritual alone. Your rituals are only as valuable as they are delivering you to the raw presence of God. And then they're valuable. Then they're valuable. Now, maybe you're, maybe you're sitting here and you're, and you're resonating with this. You're going, that sounds pretty good. My life could use some purpose. If I were to be honest and kind of like remove the, the church veneer that I wear every Sunday, if I were to really be honest, I would, I would say I am bored. And I would say that I have looked back on my life and I've had moments of deep intimacy and passion for the Lord and I no longer have those anymore. Maybe you're there, here, there this morning and you're thinking, I could use some purpose. Like, how could I, I wanna see fruit in me. I wanna see fruit through me. What should our strategy be for that? What is gonna be the church's strategy for this in the coming year? Well, there's typically, I think, four different strategies that you see in the West in church that tries to produce fruit in you and fruit through you. And here, here's the four different strategies. The first strategy is contextualization. Maybe you've heard this word. It's a missiology term, but it's, it's to contextualize the, the message of Christianity into the context of the people around you, to use their language. You know, uh, for example, uh, I, I, I went, to, went to Peru one time, and I found myself in a cathedral and there was a picture of, uh, of communion. There was a painting of communion up on uh, this, you know, this grand picture in the cathedral. And the picture was of a dead guinea pig and wine. And I was like, I've never seen a communion picture with a dead guinea pig and wine before. What's going on? And the person that we were with said, you know, guinea pig is a delicacy. And did you know this? It's a delicacy in Peru. And so as we tried to communicate, as, as the Catholic Church tried to communicate the value of Christ, they couldn't use a lamb because these people didn't really have a value for lambs. They used a guinea pig to communicate the delicacy that is Christ. So it's contextualization. How do we help the people around us understand and bear, bear the fruit of the kingdom? We need to contextualize. We need to be more, and this is modern day language, but we need to be more seeker sensitive. We need to make sure that we're sensitive to people who are seeking. The second, thing, the second uh, uh, method that people use to produce kingdom fruit around them is, I think, reason. And this is kind of like a, a daughter or a child of contextualization. It's reason. It's being a Christian makes sense. 
You know, Tim Keller, I love Tim Keller. He's one of my heroes, but he wrote a whole book, The Reason for God, that God is actually reasonable. And so if you were really a reasonable person and you were paying attention to the deep aches of your heart, you would eventually arrive at, I need to worship Yahweh. I need to follow the Christian God. Jesus is, is real. He's true. Being a Christian actually makes sense. The, th- the third method that we use to produce fruit in our culture around us is we just go like this. Let's just bend to the cultural pressure and sexuality and gender doesn't really matter that much. And so there's some archaic stuff in here and we'll just figure out ways to just not talk about those things or just to, I, I-, I have a, f- a friend of mine who is a part of a progressive church, a church that uh, does not listen to Paul in the New Testament on uh, gender and sexuality. And, I- and it- he said, you know, we're just ministering to different people, you and me. It's like, ooh, I don't think that that should be the case, actually. So there's some, there's some how do we be winsome to the culture? We just adopt whatever the culture's uh, more morals and standards are. And then the last option is this, is we create an alternative community and we escape. So, so how do we bear fruit? Well, we just need to get away from the culture, escape from the culture, and we need to stop worrying about the damned. Let me propose to you that, that all of these are interesting attempts, but none of them are bearing the fruit that Jesus said that we would see. They have produced boredom in the West. Jesus, you know, it's interesting. When he tells his disciples that they're going to become fisher, fishers of men, it's within a context. And the context was this. Throw your nets to the other side of the boat, and you're going to haul in a bunch of fish. Oh, we've been fishing. We've been fishing. We know fishing, and we're, there's, no, there's no fruit. There's no fish. But they do it, and they bring in so many fish that it says in the scriptures, the boat begins to sink. And then Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Do you think that when he told them that, that they were thinking, yeah, maybe we'll catch one or two? No. They were thinking to the same degree that he just showed us the the productivity of fishing with him, we're going to have that same productivity when we fish with him for people. Each of these methods, like what I'm trying to get at is each of these methods work from a place of lack, from being on your heels, from a place of trying to get it right, constantly checking in on the culture and going, oh, maybe we should try this. Or, you know, people don't really like it when we do that. Let, let, let's try this and over, over here. It's frantic, if you will. And it actually reminds me, you know, when we moved to Newburgh, we moved to Newburgh a little bit over four years ago. And when we got into our house, we began to find thermometers everywhere. Our house was littered with thermometers. Even now, like this past week, I was walking outside and I found another one like ha- hammered up on the little overhang over our patio. I was like, what, is that a, oh, that's another thermometer. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, there's the guy who owned the house before us, his name was Verl. I'm like, Verl would put thermometers up all over his house. And the reason why is that our house has no, it didn't, well, now it does, but it didn't have any central air. It had no thermostat. And so it had baseboard heating. So Poor Verl was constantly going from room to room, checking the thermometer outside, checking the thermometer inside, and adjusting the baseboard heat in every room to just try to get it right. I mean, this guy was obsessed with uh, efficiency and and never changed the single-pane windows, which is also crazy. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I just kind of like imagine Verl just like room to room. He's like scurrying over here, scurrying over there. And this is what the church's strategy for fruit often looks like constantly taking the temperature of the culture in order to adjust itself to it. Constantly going like, oh, maybe we should try this, or, or maybe we should say this, or, you know, there's been this new, uh, you know, psychological discovery, maybe we should speak to that, or constantly. And I don't think that's how we should live. I don't think that this is how it should be our strategy. 
God's vision for your life, here's the vision, like, like you're like, how, why couldn't Jesus just make himself more apparent to people? Or, you know, he's God. Like, couldn't he make himself irresistible? Like, couldn't he just show himself and then nobody would have any question in the world would be amazing? God has a vision, and it's this. He has designed you to be a thermostat. He has designed you to, to get the culture of heaven in you. So when you walk into a room and the temperature is the temperature of hell, the temperature is the temperature of sin, the temperature is the temperature of, of depression, of anxiety, of whatever it is, you change the temperature because you have an internal uh, HVAC, heavenly HVAC, that is actually changing the people around you. You don't change. You're not frantically trying to figure out, how do I do this? And how can I talk to them? And, and did I say it right there? You are so in tune with the culture of heaven that you begin to change the culture around you. That is what you were designed to be. You put him as your goal. Here's, here's, here's what it's connecting this morning. You put God as your goal. Rather than checking the temperature of everything around you to determine your course of action, and he will make you a thermostat who changes everybody else's courses of action. And I want to let you into the secret. Like, maybe you're there and you're going, okay, so then how if our strategy isn't the contextualization and the reason and the bending to cultural norms and, and the escape? And how? He, Jesus had a secret to his entire ministry. And here it is. Here's the secret to his ministry. I only do what I see my father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does. I only, he had this result. I only do what I see my father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does does. What, what is this? What is this? Maybe you've read this before and you thought, oh, that's so nice. Well, of course, you know, he's, it's the Trinity. <laughs> you know, that makes sense. I believe that he was giving us insight into the way that we are to live as humans who are full of the Spirit. I only do what I see my Father doing. I can't do anything else but what I see my Father doing. What this is, is it's a limiting of the activity of your life to only what you see the Father doing. It's, it's, it's limiting activity in your life to what is revealed in intimacy. So especially when you're young, if you're, if you're a young person in the room, and you're trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? You could look like Verl, constantly frantically going from room to room, trying this, trying that. And part of that is growing up and discovering. But there, there is another strategy that you can have, and it is to get yourself so close to the Father that you begin to see what he's doing and you make this resolve, I'm not doing anything else but what I see him doing. So then when you ask yourself the question, you know, why do I do what I do? That's a crazy question to ask yourself. Why do I do what I do? Why do I have the friends that I have? Why do I participate in the things that I participate in? Why do I have the job that I have? Or why, why do I do what I do? Then you come down to this. Well, I just saw my father do it. You don't, it isn't because, well, I do this because I needed to be somebody who did that. Or I do that because I wanted to feel accomplished or adequate or I wanted to be approved of in these people's eyes. No, you, I saw my father do it and I knew that if he was doing it, he has grace for me to do it. And it's a radical notion because like, this is a radical notion, especially on today. Because at the beginning of every year, what do we make? We make personal declarations of sufficiency. I'm gonna do this this year. This is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm gonna participate in. This is the strategy that I'm gonna have for my year. They are declarations of personal sufficiency, declarations of strategy for a desired result. 
There's a result that we all, you know, at least those of us who make declarations of this sort, who we want to be at the end of this year. And if we just follow the plan, we'll get there. But what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying the key to his life, the key to his ministry, the key to heaven in him and heaven through him was a strategic loss of independence, a strategic choice of dependence. He made that choice. I'm going to strategically lose independence so that I can only do what I see you doing. There may be other points of reference to check in on, but I've picked one check and it's what he's up to. That's the resolve. And I want to say to you, Saints Hill, that the winning of Newburgh, you want to see your neighbors come to faith. You want to see the kingdom expand here in this town. It's very simple. Do what intimacy reveals. Do what intimacy reveals. You you, you want the renewal of that relationship. It's very simple. Do what intimacy reveals. You, you, You look at your life and you see all the character flaws. The solution is simple. Do what intimacy reveals. His design for you is dependence. And so for 2023, I believe that it's gonna be the year of dependence. The year of dependence. Turning your Bibles to Psalm 25. We're finally getting to the scriptures. I know it's not normally how we do things around here. Psalm 25 is where we're going to spend just a little bit of time. And I wanna give Psalm 25, we we started our gathering with it. I wanna give you uh, this as a passage for the coming year. I think that this is an important passage for 2023, a sort of training, um, a a call for you to mimic some of what's going on in here. We're just going to look at a couple verses in Psalm 25. All right, look down at your Bible, Psalm 25, uh, verse 1. Guys, this is simple stuff. This is really, really simple stuff. I hope we get it. Psalm 25, verse 1 says this, In you, Lord, my God, I put, my trust. Maybe let's just say that together. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Say it again. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. What is faith? What is faith? Is faith mental assent? Like, I agree with those, uh, with what the Bible says. I agree with it. Is that faith? I believe that there was a man named Jesus. I believe even that his uh, death and resurrection was effective for my life, faith. I would argue that faith is better understood as trust. It's trust. In other words, faith has to look like something. Like you should be able to look at your life and go, oh, I trusted God here, I have faith. I trusted God here, I, I have faith. I have evidence in my life of faith. And I would say that all of life begins with this declaration that David made. I trust you. In you, I put all my trust. A declaration of dependence. And it kills anxiety. Here's what I want to tell you. So much of anxiety is wrapped up in, I need the outcome of my life to be a certain way. I need to have this career. I need to live in this place. I need to have this kind of house. I hope my kids turn out this way. You know, I need this spouse. And you're like, yeah, I don't know why I'm anxious. It's like, you have like 25 have-tos in your life. Like this has to happen. And so what David is saying here, in you, Lord my God, I put my trust. In other words, I don't trust myself to build the house of my life. Like sometimes we read that passage that says, 
It says, unless the, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And we think, well, maybe I think, this might be just for me, but maybe you have your own context for this. I think, uh, yeah, that's so true. Unless the Lord builds our church, like I'm working in vain, right? Or unless he does this ministry or unless he you know, invests in my kids, I'm laboring in vain. That's all true. It's true for the rest of your life as well. Unless the Lord builds your life, you're laboring in vain. Now, one of the things that the, I believe it's in the Proverbs, it says, it says that, you know, when you go out and you work, I'm totally paraphrasing here, so bear with me. If you go out and you work for your wealth in your life, there's sorrow attached to it. Because oftentimes when you work for wealth or when you work for a desired result of your life, you have made, you have sacrificed your deeply held values at times to, in order to get that desired result. But then it says in the next verse, but when God blesses, he adds no sorrow with it. And so you have a choice. You have a choice in your life. Will you build your life? Will you build your personal project, the personal brand of your life and get what you need to get out of life and sorrow will come along with it? Or will you be a person who says, what you give me, you give me. I'm gonna be like David. I simply put my trust in you. That's resolve. <laughs> Are you up for it? <laughs> Skip down to verse four. Next verse I wanna, I wanna look at is this. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my savior and my hope is in you all day long. You know, this is an old prayer, even old for David. Like this was old for David. This was first uttered by Moses. Remember Moses says, show me your ways. Teach me your ways, God. And I think that this is a presence prayer. It really is. It's, I don't wanna just know about you or I don't wanna even just have like a list of to-dos that, that technically make me in with you. I want to know you. I wanna know you. That's how I'm gonna be guided into truth. That's how I'm gonna be taught. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. Be my, be my personal uh, professor. <laughs> be my personal teacher, you know, Moses, when he uttered this, when he said, show me your ways, he's faced with leading a mass group of people with bitterness and trauma. They didn't have the language of trauma back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's full of trauma. <laughs> Those people need counseling. And so he has this massive group of people who have been through hell. And his prayer is this, the promised land won't solve their trauma. So don't send us to the promised land if you don't go with us. We want nothing less than your presence. We don't want good ideas or even you know, popular opinion turned our direction. We don't even need tradition as much as we need your felt presence in our lives. That's what we need. Show me your ways. Guide me in your paths. Teach me, Lord. Skip down to verse 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they should choose. The fear of the Lord is so valuable. It's so valuable. Who then are those who fear the Lord? And here, if, you, if you are one of those who fear the Lord, here's what you're gonna get. He's gonna instruct you in the ways that you should choose. Instruct you in the way that, ways that you should choose. Now, this one was fascinating. I, 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 there's so many, ver the whole, we could have spent a bunch of time on this whole chapter, but this verse really stood out to me because of the, for this reason. In the Hebrew, the quote, they choose, so if you look down your Bibles, it, it says, you know, he will instruct them in the ways they should choose, that they should choose can also be translated, he should choose. Isn't that interesting? 
So he will instruct them in the ways that they should choose, or it can be translated, he will instruct them in the ways he will choose. So which is it? Is it your choice that he's going to instruct you in, or is it his choice that he's going to instruct you in? (laughs) The answer is this. It's about relational choice. He's invited you into a relationship where you bring your choices and he brings his choices and he instructs you in the way that you should choose. When you, here's the thing. When you have submitted yourself to this, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. You have then entered into a trust relationship where you can be honest with him. You can tell him what you really think, what you really want, what you really desire, and he can prune the things that don't belong out of you. It's wonderful. Verse 15 says this, my eyes are ever on the Lord for only he will release my feet from the snare. My eyes are ever on the Lord for only he will release my feet from the snare. But shouldn't you take a look at the snare? What does it say? My eyes are ever on the Lord for only he will release my feet from the snare. Interesting, I'd look at the snare. I'd at least wanna know what kind of snare it is. Shouldn't you at least read a book about it? Or like maybe a podcast on that snare? My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. So if you're in a bind, if you feel stuck in life, if you have the quiet desperation of a modern life, if you're bored, look at him, not the snare. It's intimacy that reveals. It's this resolute choice that David has made. There are so many thermometers that I could check, but I've made the choice, even in a snare, that my eyes are on you. Only you will be my rescue. That is so resolute. That is so not what we do in the church. What we do in the church is we go, we should write a book about that. We should do a sermon on that. Maybe a series even. My eyes are ever on you, for only you will release my foot from the snare. Two thoughts as we close uh, this morning. Two thoughts for our church in this next year. Reject Christian wellness and choose dependence. Reject Christian wellness and choose dependence. I think one of the temptations in the church today is what I call Christian wellness. And Christian wellness summed up as this. It's when the spiritual practices of the tradition that we're born into or even the relationship with God is used to get the peace that you want, the joy that you want, the strategy for an unhurried life, or to be somehow a non-anxious presence. And it's popular within evangelical Christianity today to kind of recapture some of the traditions of the, the monastic traditions as a way of progressing forward in our faith. Here's what I want to say. If he is not at the end of your pursuit, it's Christian wellness. You are using God, you are using tradition as a way to be well within yourself without actually being surrendered fully to him. Your eyes are on all sorts of other things and not on him. Now, here's the other thing. If, you, if your eyes are on him, those are wonderful tools. They're wonderful tools. They're wonderful disciplines. I'm, I'm doing many of them in my own life right now. But the, 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 temp, the temptation is, is to say, I want to be a non-anxious person. Oh, that would be amazing. I want to be unhurried in my life. I want to be somebody who uh, has joy and peace. I want those things. And you begin to use Christianity and its precepts as a way to get well internally rather than saying, you alone are my focus. In you is all my trust. 
And it's not, and so, so then your life is not kingdom life. It, 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 because you're constantly, frantically running from discipline to discipline or strategy to strategy or counselor to counselor to all of the thermometers like the guy who used to live in my house. And you're going, how am I doing here? How am I thinking here? How am I over here? When you could put your focus on him and have him set up the thermostat within you. That's the vision of this next year. Look, this has to be said. God is not after spiritual athletes. God is not after spiritual athletes. He is after sons and daughters. Like, remember what, when Jesus says, he says, the son can only do what the father does. Do you know what that language is? That's family language. God is after the child-father relationship where that, that's where your life is gonna be found. That's where your life is gonna be found. And when you're there, there's this resolve. I won't use God to get the life that I want. Otherwise, you're gonna be like me at the end of Alpha going, there has to be more. There has to be more. And there is. It just requires that you die. It requires that you choose dependence. See, dependence must be chosen for those who are blessed. Do you know that? Dependence must be a choice for people who are blessed. The more blessing that you have in your life, the more you will have to make a choice to depend, a strategic decision to need God. You know, for some of you, you came this morning and all, you know, you look back at this year and all of the circumstances of your year uh, throw you upon his grace. You are profoundly aware of your need. You go, I need God more than I've ever needed him before. And here's the wonderful thing that you've probably discovered is that those who need God, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. You have found yourself close to him in ways that you never dreamed possible. This is often what suffering can do, what pain can do, is it throws you upon him and it goes, oh, my need is so great. And it's those who draw near to God that he draws near to. It's wonderful. But for others, and I actually sensed myself in this position this week. For others, there's a choice before you. You can live off of him or you can live off of blessing. And, and I would put forth to you today that when you live off of what God does for you, instead of living off of him, that's where anxiety, boredom, and all the rest come in. It's, you're, you're, when you're doing that, and it sounds like there's a part of that that you need to do for a moment. When God blesses you, you need to look at it. You need to write it down. You need to mark it as a testimony. It's incredibly important. <laughs> But if you continue to live on yesterday's manna, if you continue to live on yesterday's bread, and you don't look for the new thing that he's doing, for the new thing that he's directing you in, that, that, then you, you are missing out on what the Father's already up to. And so you're spinning your wheels over here going, why am I spinning my wheels? And you're going, well, I haven't actually found out what the Father's up to, so I'm doing things that the Father's not doing. No wonder. There's a strategic choice to be made where we say, I have so much Maybe this is you this morning. I have so much and I've been so blessed, but I will strategically choose to not use this blessing to fill me up. I won't make what you do for me the goal of my life. I will make you the goal of my life. That is choosing dependence. And, and guys, that's the choice that, that Moses made. Moses said, I'm not gonna live on the blessing of the promised land without you. You are my reward. That's the choice that David made here in this Psalm 25. In you alone do I trust. Nothing else. My eyes are ever on you. You're gonna release me from the snare. And this is Jesus, by the way. I only do what I see the Father doing. And I believe that this is for us in 2023. I believe that it will be a year of dependence. Dependence increasing in your life. Your awareness of your need for God increasing in your life. 
You know, as I wrote this, I, I, I kept having this thought go through my mind, like we need a declaration of dependence as a church that we say every week, like a declaration of dependence. And then I realized that the Apostles' Creed is our declaration of dependence. Within each line of the Apostles' Creed, and I'd really encourage you to really pay attention to each line as we, we're about to recite it together. Within each line of the Apostles' Creed, we are making a confession that we need God. We need him. We make this confession, you know, we're not just reading words on a screen. What we're doing is we're making a declaration into the culture of Newburgh that this is what we are to be about. It's a, it's a personal call. But it is also a call to, to the surrounding culture saying, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We're this dependent. We need him this much. With this creed, we put on display what humans were made for, and it's to trust God. So let's do it together. Let's stand up. We're gonna read the Apostles' Creed together as we close. All right, let's read this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, his holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let me pray for you. Put your hand over your heart. Let me pray for you as we, as we go. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.